Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mario Dottillo. He is a mobile home park ninja and black belt, and you need to check out his social media because some of the stuff he's got going on is incredible. He's got some of the best, most interesting, and honest content out there as far as mobile home park investing, entrepreneurship, businessship, uh, businessship uh, real estate investing, business ownership, and all that kind of stuff. He's really done a great job of putting himself out there. I can vouch for some of the circles he's in, some of the people he's involved with. The guy knows what he's doing. He's got good character. He's an ethical guy. He knows his stuff, and he's really helpful. He's really putting a lot of time out. I know how long and how much energy it takes to put a lot of that stuff out on social media, and the fact that he's out there doing it, and he's looking to do some great partnerships and help educate some people and keep them from taking some shots or some pitfalls or losing some money and really give them a true expectation of what they can expect as far as some of the risks, but also see the rewards and the lifestyles that you can get through real estate investing, especially through commercial and mobile home parks. I think it's fantastic. So uh, I sought him out for a long time. I've asked him for a while to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan of him and what he does and uh, definitely got me fired up to buy some more. So we talk about all the risks and the rewards of mobile home park investing versus some other asset classes, some things that you can look at now that'll help you whether you work with him or not to really just assess the risks of a property. Some of the things you want to look at for analysis, buy box, future funding, insurance, potential lawsuits, um, you know, water information, where to invest in the country, where not to invest in the country and why using social media, pros and cons to too much information, tons of different things. So love this episode. I thought this was a great episode. Again, if you guys are looking to work on any level in real estate and you want to work with me, 516-540-5733. Again, 516-540-5733. Shoot a text message that says real estate. And then we can have a conversation for whether you want to buy properties from me, whether it's residential or commercial, whether you want to sell properties to me, residential or commercial, or you don't even know where you want to fit in or what we're going to do together. You just know that you want to make some money, get into some real estate, and you want to see if we can partner up or do something together on some level. Let's have that conversation. 516-540-5733. Follow Mario Dottillo. Look at the show notes for all the ways to connect with him. He gives you guys a ton of content, so check that out. For my stuff, please, the fee for this podcast is just to listen, subscribe, and interact on social media. So, Everything you need to subscribe to this podcast or to find me or the show on social media is at nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. So please at nicknicknick.com slash links. Follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast or on YouTube where you watch it. And please just interact when we post the, the clips of stuff with like Mario, like it, share it, tag a friend, text us to do some deals together. Last but certainly not least, if you are looking for a free checklist, how to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate agent, real estate broker, or real estate wholesaler, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets and get that there. A-game podcast, Mary Dottillo. Let's do some real estate together. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. All right. My guest today is an entrepreneur and real estate investor for over 16 years, originally from Minneapolis, but now fighting out of Naples, Florida, smart man going south where it's nice and warm. He's been investing in many asset classes, including single family homes and then transitioning to commercial assets for passive income and growth, such as multifamily, self-storage, and his crown jewel, mobile home parks. 
He has amassed a portfolio of worth over $50 million with 900 pads and growing, spread over about 10 parks in five different states. Now hosting the Mario Dottillo show, available everywhere. We're going to talk about that as well, as well as being on some really great podcasts, such as Spilling the Beans with Tim Bratz and bringing on such great guys on his podcast like Mike Fallett and the amazing Gary Harper. He is very intelligently and intellectually integrated his business into many virtual companies, which we are going to talk about, such as CRE Ops, as well as title companies and management companies. And he is now coaching and consulting for others and helping them trying to start or scale their business. And he's teaching others his market real estate strategies that he has paved the way for success, that he can show you true financial success as well. He is not only helping others make money, but he's also giving back with the fund he has created to help manufactured home residents who are affected by Hurricane Ian get back on their feet. So great guy all around. And we're going to talk a little bit about what he has coming on, especially his new coaching program to help others get into multifamily, especially things like mobile home parks through real cash flow. He brings his A-game to everything he does, and this will be no different. Thank you for coming on the game podcast today somebody i have been really excited to talk to mario dittillo nick thank you like that that introduction is like i'm stepping into the ring for a fight for real <laughs> that's like and are you get ready to rumble you know it's that that was an awesome intro thank you so much and and uh, it's humbling to be on your show I, I love your show and i'm a big fan so let's let it rip man i'm here to add some value to your listeners Man, I really appreciate that. I, it's funny because I always get hung up on the name and I've been saying it right. And then I second guessed it and then I went back again. So I always get stressed during the intro, but we, we got through it. We got through it. You and, got uh, it. Yeah, we, we, we made it there. Um, So you're, you're uh, a guest, obviously, that I, dude, I've been watching your stuff for a while. I know we were kind of coming in out of some other different masterminds around the same time, but you have such quality content on your social media. So we're going to dig into all that. But I've been watching your Twitter and your TikTok and your YouTube for a very long time. So I would be shocked if people that listen to this podcast do not know who you are yet. But for some of the people who might not, can you give a little bit of a 30,000 foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yeah, thank you. Um. Humble beginnings. I barely graduated high school, uh, started a business my senior year in high school, and just really didn't know what I wanted out of life. Saw an opportunity to make some serious money and did it and did really well with it for a few years until that company filed bankruptcy and pretty much cut off my income stream, which thank God it did because it really opened up the doors to a lot more opportunity. Started a real estate brokerage just kind of out of hustle and grind. And ultimately around 2008, I'm looking at all these distressed homes coming on the market. I'm helping investor clients buy this stuff. I go to my dad, who's been in construction his whole life, you know, commercial construction, custom home builder, all this stuff. I said, look, we should really partner up. Why don't you handle all the construction? Why don't I handle all of the acquisitions, dispositions, any capital stuff? And uh, so we did shut down the real estate brokerage and went and partnered with him, started buying homes and did that until about 2014. We were mostly flipping homes, doing some wholesaling, but fair, fair number of uh, fix and flips per year. And then 2014, things started to change. The market tightened up. There wasn't all this distressed uh this that many distressed homes on the market anymore. So it kind of went back to a normal market where we had to sit down face to face with somebody at their kitchen table and that just wasn't fun anymore. And so what we did is we started looking at different commercial assets and apartments were the first no brainer thing for us to look at because it was a lot like a single family home client and came across a mobile home park and the rest is history. And we ended up going more down that direction than apartments. I love that, man. So speaking to some of the people in here, I know there's a little bit of a stigma. So 
What are some of the myths about mobile home parks that you hear or might have thought starting out? Because I know people in the know, they know, but a lot of other people, they hear mobile home park, they think a certain way, they don't want to invest in it. So let's start with some of the myths about mobile home parks or what they are, what they aren't. And then we can go with some of the benefits of investing in them. Sweet. Yeah, I would say that most people, a lot of people have a negative thought when they think of a mobile home park because they think trailer park, they think, you know, um, many of the movies, you know, Six Mile, a lot of these other movies, that's kind of the stigma is it's trashy, right? And it's ghetto or it's really rough. And uh, the truth is most communities, at least the ones that we buy, are land lease communities, meaning the residents own their homes and they pay us lot rent, which gives them uh, a much more of a home ownership mentality than you'd get in most other rental properties. And so I would say the first thing is they just think it's trashy. They think it's um, violent, high crime, and they probably would not want to go in one. And that's uh, that's definitely something that Hollywood has helped with. <laughs> Fair enough. So now skipping into that, opening people's eyes to really, now we know what they're not, but what are some of the benefits of why somebody would want to invest in a mobile home park? And really, I mean, I, I know some of the stuff that I've done. If you just looked at the videos when we did the walkthrough inspections, and I didn't tell you that it was a mobile home, a lot of them are actually nicer than some of the multifamilies or even some of the houses. It's it's really crazy when you go and you see how some, when some of them are well-kept there. So let's talk now, like just jump into benefits of investing in mobile home parks. Yeah, I would probably sum it up. And maybe the reasons why we've bought them is first, they perform really well in recessions. When when affordable housing is in really high demand and people are moving out of, you know, moving down the ladder, uh, you want to be the lowest cost provider, right? And that's what we are. So uh, we've got very strong track record in recessions and down economies. They are the lowest cost provider of housing. It's also something that has a real moat around it. You're not seeing new development for a reason because the zoning departments in the counties and cities will not allow it. So you don't have this issue of new competition coming in. You're able to buy, operate without worrying about somebody putting in something across the street and emptying you out, which is probably one of the most unique things. because I don't know many property types that have that same protection, right? And uh, on top of that, they are pretty stable. I mean, because we're dealing with homeowners that just pay us lot rent, there's very low turnover. And the management of them, I wouldn't say it's easy. It's not just renting dirt and waiting for money to come in, but it's definitely less management intense than apartments or even self-storage. And so um, there's definitely some attractions to it. I would say it's not for everybody because I think people need to figure out what they're strategy long-term is, but I would say that it's a much more attractive property than most people realize from a cash flow standpoint and a market position right now. There's a lot of consolidation going on. And so we're able to acquire communities from unprofessional owners and buy things at great prices. I love that. You know, I, I think it comes down to when you hear like uh, maybe poor choice of words, but like one man's trash is another man's treasure. The people out there that treat these, that you see this stuff on TV, you hear about that are these trashy parks that are not managed right and they have terrible tenants and terrible quality care. Those are the things that make a potential attractive investment to us so we can turn them into those nice things. So, you know, anytime I look at something and I go, you know, it's a business. And when you look at a business, there's businesses that do well and businesses that do bad, bad. but now your strategy, talk about 
are you buying stuff that's already stabilized or are you looking for things like that that are underperforming, maybe distressed owners, mismanaged, mom and pop, that type of thing, and then taking them, creating value and, and making like a good business out of them and changing the culture of those parks? Nick, we like to buy existing in-place cash flow with upside. And really what we look for is mismanagement, deferred maintenance, um, value-add strategies that have a very predictable path to stabilization. So do we typically buy clean, stabilized, full market rent, 100% occupied? No. Um, we're typically buying things that owners have owned for a while. Maybe they owned them free and clear and they were kind of a lifestyle business for them. So they were just taking in whatever took in and they weren't managing it professionally. And there's a lot of opportunity in that. We build back utilities, we raise rents, we um, make physical improvements to make it more attractive, infill lots. There's a lot of different strategies, but we're we're definitely looking for money left on the table. And like you said, one person's trash is another person's treasure. And for them, it's giving the seller the opportunity to get out with enough cash to go retire, do the things that they want, but they've left enough upside on the on the table for us to go and create that, that value and um, recoup all of our initial investment as quickly as possible. And we're long-term investors. So we buy these assets for the long, for 10 plus year holds is typically our strategy. Awesome, man. I love that. So talking a little bit about more digging into the acquisition side of that, I've heard you talk a little bit about some states that you prefer to look for acquisitions of mobile home parks that are just assets in general for buy and hold and some that do, you do not. I know some of the states here, and it looks like you've grown since then, but talk a little bit about like you're, you're just starting out, you know, okay, mobile home parks, I'm in. I understand that there's a benefit. Where are some places you're going to start to look and why? And what are some places that you might stay away from and why? So Nick, do you really want to take your show that direction? <laughs> I'll take it political if you want, man. You probably get banned or something, but um, <laughs> uh, no. So, you know, I think I've been fairly outspoken when it comes to um, landlord tenant laws and making sure that you don't give governments money that are going to basically screw you the first chance they get. And I would say that, especially if you're getting started, you should really avoid the states that hate landlords. And those are going to be your blue states, just being bold about it. Um, they want it, they make business very hard. They lean more towards the tenant. They make it harder to be able to protect your asset and keep it growing in value and other things. So I would say I would stick with the states that want you there as a landlord and respect you as as a as the entrepreneur or business owner that you are. Um, for us, I mean, we're in Florida, Georgia, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Texas today. It's beginning of 2023. And, you know, Minnesota and Pennsylvania are a little harder states to do business in, but they're not as extreme as some of the the um, the Californias, the Illinois, the New Jersey's, the uh, New York's and things like that. So I, I guess ultimately look for tax advantages and look for states that are going to make business easier on you and not harder. And that's some people underestimate that because they look and they say, well, I want to buy in my backyard. I live in California. I live in New York. I live in these states that I love and I want to be close, but I would highly recommend looking at where the best place to do business is first and then learn how to operate long distance if needed. I think that that's a phenomenal answer, man. So taking that a step further now, when you figure out what the area is, 
What, you, what is your buy box right now? And I'm sure it's, it's changed over the years, but what are you looking for? Is there some quick in and out math as far as like cap rate, cash on cash, occupancy, um, park on versus tenant on? Like I've heard you talk a little bit about this, but everybody's a little bit of a different strategy. What's some of your buy box parameters? Great question. Um, really what we're looking for is some scale. So 50 or more occupied lots is where we start to get excited. And part of that is because we aren't buying in our own backyard and management is, it does come with its expense loads, right? So if you've, you know, if you're buying in your backyard, you can go smaller because you can drive down the street. But if you have to buy, if you're buying something out of state, it takes airplane tickets and hotels and things like that. And also the bigger you go, obviously it can afford the on-site manager more. So really 50 plus occupied lots. Um, we prefer public utilities, but we've bought with private utilities. We've even bought properties that were uh, private, uh, well, septic, things like that, and then converted them. We're doing one right now where we converted it to city utilities. Um, cap rate, you know, honestly, going in, we don't really look at cap rate as much because we are mostly buying value-add properties. We want to be cash flow positive, and we want to have it produce enough cash flow where the returns are attractive for ourselves and our investors. But other than that, we're trying to be at around a 10% cap rate by the end of year one. So um, we aren't buying properties that are significantly vacant. You know, like we're not going to buy a hundred space park with 25 homes in it just because it's a heavy lift and it's a slow process and you can make a killing on those properties, but they're just slower and, and they take manpower. So for us, you know, filling vacant lots is something that we're fine with, but it's usually around the 70% occupancy, 65, 70% occupancies kind of where we want to be just so that we can get it fully occupied within a year or two, you know? Um, but I would say that's pretty much it market wise. We just don't buy in the country. You know, if it's out in the boonies where there's no reason for that person to live there, then why? I mean, it's kind of like, if you're going to put a community in the middle of nowhere, not anywhere near work or anything, there's just no sense. So as long as we're close to a, you know, relatively good size market, we're okay with that. I love that, man. That's really good info that. So you brought up a couple of points there too. When you said some of the states, I know Georgia, Texas, Florida, warmer, and then you can get some crazy weather, obviously, in like Pennsylvania, Minnesota. Yeah. Are you are you running your numbers different knowing that when you keep those properties over the winters, there might be more wear and tear, more distress, more you know deferred maintenance needed on them over time? Or do you not really care because you're doing more of a lot run strategy? Yeah, I would say that the... The difference between the northern states and the southern states when it comes to like temperature, it's a lot of water breaks. I mean, you get water breaks because it's negative 20 degrees in Minnesota. <laughs> and, you know, we're not so worried about the water breaks inside the homes. That's pretty rare. It's more, you know, close to the surface. Obviously, in Pennsylvania and Minnesota, they're burying those lines six to nine feet deep. Um, but we put heat tape on them and do things like that to make to protect the lines other than that, it's pretty similar from an expense standpoint, because even in the northern states, yeah, you've got snow plowing for half the year, but in the, in the southern states, you still got to mow the lawn. So it's it's not a whole lot different. It's just different. <laughs> you know, from sure. a number standpoint, it's pretty similar. I would say on the homes, they're, they don't take a whole lot more wear and tear. They're just different. I mean, if you think about it, the negative in the south is going to be hurricanes and things like that. So you, there's just different risks in each market. And I think for somebody's 
risk tolerance. They just need to look and say, Hey, am I okay with a big storm coming through every once in a while? Can I sleep at night through that? Or can I handle some pipes breaking? And it's, it's just going to be based on somebody's risk tolerance. Fair enough, man. You, another interesting topic you brought up that I think is really funny with new investors is you talked about changing it over from private utilities to public utilities and you know, learning some of the stuff I've learned through going through the development that I've done here or just doing some bigger rehabs and working with the city. I'll talk to people that will go, hey, there's this, this land here. And I go, great, what are you going to do? Man, I'm going to buy the land and I'm going to put a mobile home park on it. And then I'm going to like expand it and get it approved for X, Y, and Z and switch it over from these utilities to these utilities. And I'm like, have you ever done that before? Like, no. Have you ever done any deals before? <laughs> not really. Do you have any cash reserves? Nope, not really. It's like, you don't understand how much money and the fact that you could buy that land, go to the city. And like for some of that stuff, you want to switch stuff over. There's no guarantee you will. And I haven't done that specific thing, but is it a similar process where you're going, hey, I want to change this over from public to, to uh, for private, private to public, you have to go through hearings, you have to work with the city and there's no guarantee that you're going to get it. Or is that process a little bit more straightforward in mobile home parks? Yeah, I would say that there's definitely some overlap in the process, but I would say it's probably easier. Um, one, one thing to keep in mind is if you're going to do, a, if you're going to take on a project where you know you're converting utilities, or really even if you're just buying a property with public or private utilities in general, you really need to make sure that if part of your business plan is connecting to the city for water or sewer, that it's possible. You know, a lot of times people will buy things and then they go to the city and say, Hey, I'd like to connect in. And they're like, yeah, but there's not a line for a mile from here. You know, like, like, Oh crap. And these septics are failing. Now you're screwed. So I think it's really just part of good due diligence to make sure that You've got a clear path to getting connected, getting bids, making sure that there's nothing going to stop you. So as soon as you close, you can kick it in. Like right now, we just bought a park near Ocala, and I did that with a couple of partners. And it's you know one large septic system, a well, and the city's more than happy to let us connect in. And so we went and got multiple bids and did all of that in the due diligence process so that soon as we close, it's pretty much pulling permits and getting ready to rock. Um, you can lose a lot of money on utilities if you don't know what you're doing. Private utilities are a little bit different game. We only own one that has private uh, private water right now. For the most part, everything is city or we've converted it to city. It's just an extra layer of risk that you have to be comfortable with and, and know what you're doing. I love that, man. Like Risk tolerance, I think, is something that people need to discuss before they go into deals, like what their actually risk tolerance is, not figure out after that this was more than I wanted to take on. You know, and just the uh, the other thing that I think is a really cool stuff that I, I was not aware of with mobile home parks is the thing where, oh, I'm going to buy this land and then I'm going to go put a mobile home park on there. It's not very common. I, I, I haven't heard anything of it, but part of the desire is, although everybody I talk to now seems like they're getting into mobile home parks, it seems to be a good asset class because most areas are not going to approve new mobile home parks being built. Are you still finding that? And talk about why for people who don't know why that might happen. Yeah, really good question. I just want to touch on one thing that you hinted on and then I'll answer that question sure. if I can remember it. Um, So risk for any investor right now that's buying real estate, no matter what it is, just focus on risk too. I think a lot of times we pay a lot of attention to the blue sky and the opportunity and the upside potential, but we underestimate the downside risk. And I think people underestimate that the downside risk is often 
more than the upside potential. <laughs> Meaning, you know, if you're buying a multi-million dollar asset, yeah, you can make couple million, but if your debt is 4 million or 5 million, you have a lot more room to go down than up. So it's just really being cautious, making sure that you know what you're doing when it comes to the due diligence process and just being really thorough and being okay with walking away from deals where it just something doesn't feel right, or there's something that could potentially, you know, put you under, be okay with walking away from marginal deals and don't be too desperate to just buy things to buy. Um, now, Along the lines of new development, yeah, I mean, you've got a few different things. Not in my backyard is a pretty common issue. I mean, honestly, I'm not excited about having a mobile home park going next to my house either. Okay. Uh. So I don't blame people for that. Okay. But there's definitely a stigma still in, in, in the market. There's also issues with taxes and there's motivation for the city or the county to have higher tax revenue property types because it funds their schools and other things a lot more than a mobile home park. When you think about it, there's if if it's a lot ranked community and the residents own their homes, how much are those homes worth and how much are they paying in taxes? Pretty minimal. And then what else are you paying taxes on? The land, maybe a office or a clubhouse, maybe a pool. There's just not a lot of infrastructure there to tax. And so you can go and put in an apartment complex or a self-storage facility or industrial or whatever else and you're going to get a lot more tax revenue than you're going to get in a mobile home park, which actually uses a lot of the city's um, assets like schools and other things and fire and police. They use all that, but they don't pay a lot in. So there's multiple reasons and I get it, but um, I would say that there's a lot of politicians that are standing on the hilltop going, we need affordable housing. We're going to do everything we can. And then they're also trying to attack that mobile home park owner and trying to get them to close their doors because they want something else to come in that's like luxury apartments. And so there's a lot of um a lot of a lot of crap from politicians, put it that way. Um I think there's probably going to be there's going to be some change. And it's probably going to be dependent on who's in office in the next few years. But I think you will start seeing um some of the zoning laws maybe lightening up or or changing to attract affordable housing, but at the same time, housing is going to become more of a social issue. And so there's going to be more, hopefully a little bit more opportunity for affordable housing, but at the same time, affordable housing landlords are going to be a target. And so just watch that over the next few years, especially going into the next election, you're, it's going to become a social issue. And it, it's, it's becoming less and less of a business and more of a a right to to live in someplace. And we saw that during COVID, right? I mean, COVID pretty much proved how socialist these governments can be by putting all the weight on the landlord and saying, you're going to absorb all this rent that they owe. We're going to give them money, but they don't have to pay you with it, and you can't evict them. And so you saw that. Well, just wait. That, that will start to happen more and more. And so being in the right states is and I didn't, no pun intended, well, maybe pun intended now, <laughs> uh, but being in the right states really does matter when it comes to this business and any residential related real estate, especially um, apartments and mobile home parks. Man, that's really good info to think about. It's not only now, but definitely in the future. And kind of, because when you look at, when you start to look for a deal now, by the time you get it, you stabilize it and all that stuff, we're going to be right there. So 
something you want to start to look at. And you, you maybe think they're so talk, we talked about some of the things that can go right now. We're kind of leaning into some of the things that can go wrong. Yeah. I've seen you post some stuff on your social media about lawsuits. And I wanted to talk about um, things that can go wrong in mobile home parks. And then I wanted to touch on insurance or protections for things like lawsuits, and then actually talk about actual insurance for mobile home parks, which has been kind of a wild thing in my experience for getting. So starting out with like, what are some top mistakes when people make investing in mobile home parks? Nick, I love this topic because nobody likes to talk about the negative. And I'm the one that's out there like, hey, you shouldn't invest in mobile home parks <laughs> because, you know, truthfully, they're not for everybody. And um, you have to know the good and the bad, which is kind of what I was saying before. And if you're not comfortable with the bad, just don't buy them. Um, I, I think I think your question was, what are the risks or what are the negatives about mobile home parks? I would say, you know, your, your tenant base, depending on location and quality of asset, can be a little bit more high touch. Um, you are going to deal with government and you're going to fight code enforcement. You're going to fight health department. You're going to fight zoning. You're going to... It's a fact. If you are not familiar with land use attorneys, you will become familiar with them in this industry. Okay. Um, and you know, overall there, I think the positives outweigh the negatives by far, but there's a misconception. I touched on this before that they are really easy to manage and it's just renting out dirt. And I've seen quite a few people go from apartments or other things searching for yield and start buying mobile home parks because they think it's easier to manage or um, a piece of cake. And then when they start doing, they're like, oh crap. So you mean it's really slow to infill lots and expensive? You know, they buy these properties and then they figure out that there's a lot more moving parts. I would say that one thing that is completely underestimated, two things, titles. Titles are a huge problem and nobody ever talks about it. Mobile home titles get managed through the DMV, kind of like a car. And um, think about your last experience at the DMV and how that went. All right. So now deal with DMV for every home that transfers. It's like, you know, you kind of just want to jump off a cliff. Um, it's, a, it's a complicated, just tedious process. The other thing that people forget about is when you're infilling lots, it's you've got two business models, and this is maybe the best way I explain mobile home parks is it's kind of like a for-profit homeowners association in the sense that you own the land and the infrastructure, the resident owns their home. They have to pay you lot rent, which is kind of like HOA dues. Um, if they don't, you can essentially foreclose. Okay. You can take back the home and sell it and they have to maintain their home, but you don't own it. So you don't have the expense of maintaining their home. At the same time, you're like a builder developer because on any vacant lots that you have, you're bringing in homes, you're setting them up, and then you're selling them like a builder would. So you've kind of got this rental and sales model stacked on top of each other. And it's capital intense and a bit operationally heavy, especially when you're doing infill. So people underestimate that. They're like, oh yeah, it's got 10 lots. I'll just fill that over the next year. It's no problem. I'll find used homes and bring them in. Yeah, but they don't know that just to move the home, it's four grand. And just to set it up, it's 15. So you got to add an extra 19 to that home price. There's just a lot of um, complexities when you're dealing with rental and sales kind of blended together. 
if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Reach out to me on any of my social media channels. You will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. That's a great, great point there that I actually did not even consider myself. So I love that stuff. You know, a, a side topic here, you're very aware of the negatives and I'm always interested with a guy like you because I, I, I say every relationship needs a gas and a break. And I'm usually the gas who's going, this is a great deal. And then I have my business partner who does like almost like the Nick Burton type of thing where like they beat up the deal. They tell you all the things that are wrong with it. And I think some people, when they look at the negative, they get too overwhelmed or too, they're, they're like when you're just focusing on that, that's all you see. So they freeze up and they don't pull the trigger and they get analysis paralysis because you do have to, realistically, you, you're not going to find a deal that there's no risk. And you're definitely not going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on something that has very little risk. It just doesn't work like that. So right. how do you work out that fine line of that double-edged sword of like the risk versus reward? And at what point is it, these are worth it or these are not? And I make the decision versus just overanalyzing and worrying about the risk and talking yourself out of every opportunity. I think there's a threshold that changes over time. When I first got started buying mobile home parks, I don't know if it was kind of a slight ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. At the same time, you want to grow and you've got that ambition to just scale and scale and scale. So you maybe take a little bit more risk as you accumulate assets and you build that portfolio and, and you build something of value, you start to go, huh, could that take the whole thing down with it? <laughs> you know, like, so I think it's, it's comfort. You got to be comfortable with your risk tolerance and recognize it. And debt is a way that a lot of times people take risks that they don't understand. I, I all for debt, you know, like I, we use it to buy all of our assets, but there's level, there's safe levels of debt. And then there's aggressive levels of debt. And so recognizing that and just knowing where you can get hurt and deciding, Hey, is this something that could bankrupt me? And if it is, probably not worth the deal. Even if it's got, you know, tons of upside brokers will call you a lot and people wholesaling stuff and be like, Oh, you can make all this money. You just got to fill 50 vacant lots and you just have to do all this. And you're like, cool. You know what that takes? <laughs> you know, um, that, that's going to take a million dollars to fill those lots. Um, so number one, education, understanding what you're getting into, and that will help you kind of slide your risk back and forth on the scale and decide, um, whether it's something that you can handle and then experience, you're going to, you're going to learn, get with people who are doing it, get, get a second opinion. And if they say run, probably run. Um, for me, it's definitely gotten more and more conservative over time. I would have probably bought some hairier deals than I would now. Not that I won't buy, you know, complicated or hairy deals. It's just different. Um, I, I think you just need to know, how much you can risk. And if you're just getting started, don't think, well, I don't have anything, so I can't lose anything. Oh, you can go negative. Okay. <laughs> just because you don't have anything doesn't mean that you can't go negative. So just, just um, 
look at, I don't want to beat this too much, but just look at the risk as much, if not more than the upside potential, but don't operate out of fear either. I love that, man. There's the fine line that that fine line and that risk tolerance is different for everybody. Yeah. So now talking about funding these, so talk a little bit about a, if you're buying a stabilized asset, I'm assuming you have to get some sort of bridge debt or temporary debt to stabilize that. And then talk about kind of what you do for the refinancing there. Because I also know from my experience, some of these parks, not every lender will lend on the park, especially if you're doing the park own home type of thing, they get value different. And there's a whole mixed bag of nuts here as far as what you can, and you can't do. So talk about funding strategies for mobile homes. Yeah, it's going to vary depending on the condition, location and size, right? So, you know, we can kind of go from one end of the spectrum to the other. If it's an, if it's a distressed value add type property where it's not stabilized, you're probably getting local bank debt or bridge debt. We don't use hard money loans or anything like that. Typically it's, we're either buying it cash or we're buying it with bank financing, local or regional bank. And what's great about those lenders is they will allow you to finance some of your improvement costs. They also don't have high prepayment penalties, and they typically can look at a business plan and understand what you're going in to do. So they could they they understand, hey, look, this thing isn't cash flowing that great. It's it's got distress, but I understand their business plan and how they're going to get to where they want to be. So usually going in, that's what we do. Um, the debt looks, I mean, it's changing, so I don't want to make your 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 show irrelevant, but <laughs> I would say, I would say you're looking at, you know. 65 to 75% loan to value or loan to cost if you can get them to do the construction side of it. And then, you know, 20 to 25 year amortization. It's usually a three to seven year loan, you know, reasonable prepayment penalties, things like that. And so, and I probably missed one of the terms, but um, once you've stabilized the property, or at least once we've stabilized the property, our goal is to return capital, right? We want to get as much of our investment back out of the deal so that it goes back in our pockets and our investors' pockets so they can go reinvest it and returns go through the roof on the deal. So as soon as we can, once the property stabilized, then we're going to go and we're going to typically refinance with you know, an institutional lender, whether it's a CMBS, life company, or agency lender. And our whole goal is to get into a long-term non-recourse debt with safe leverage. So we do not typically pull out more than what we've put in. We're usually trying to recoup our initial investment and that's all. And so we can keep a relatively low loan to value after we've created a ton of value, right? I think portfolio wide, we're probably 55% loan to value, something like that across the board, which is conservative. A lot of people are pushing that, you know, a return on equity and they're trying to get as much out to go scale. And we, we just would prefer keep the assets we own versus have to lose them and start over, right? Um, and so you go into these other lenders and what's great about them is that they need stabilized properties. They can't see the business plan and they're not going to lend on future. But what they are going to do is give you non-recourse. So you don't have to personally sign on the debt. They're going to typically give you a 10 plus year um, fixed loan with 30 year amortization and just a just really sexy terms. Okay. That's like the cream of the crop. That's what you want to get to. So we've systematically done that with all of our properties, buy them, turn them around, refinance them and get into long-term non-recourse debt. I love that, man. And I, I very much appreciate how you're seeing you're, you're very like aggressively conservative in the fact that you do all this, but then at that, when you wrap it all up at a 55% loan to value, you have so much security in that, that the market's not going to just probably 45%. And if it is, 
Another thing I like about stuff like mobile homes is that like lower to middle income affordable housing that usually gets affected the least. It's the, the higher stuff, you know, so very, very yeah. good. I, I like that. That's all really I, good takeaways. I do want to be really clear and honest. Doesn't mean that we're necessarily refinancing every property at 55%. Some might be 65, 70%, but with the growth of the overall portfolio and kind of values going up and how we've added value, it's it's averaged out to about 55, but we're definitely not doing 80, 90% loan to value. And we're really not pulling out more than what we've put in. So I just don't want to make people seem that I uh, think that I'm doing super low leverage because the returns may not work that way too. So um, it's it's conservative with, it's a conservative hold on aggressive turn, aggressive turnaround properties. <laughs> you know, sure. once we've created the value, then we just, we don't over leverage them. Perfect. Great. Wise words, sir. I got, I got two more and then I want to talk about all the stuff that you're doing. One of them is social media. So that's part of what made me connect with you is there's a lot of people out there posting a lot of content. There's going to be links to yours, obviously, but you have some of the best content I've seen out there. You're always giving really good information, stuff that I would have never thought about. And I've bought mobile homes and sold mobile home parks. So I like what you're doing every day. I appreciate it because I also know how much it takes to put all that out. So thank you, sir, for what you do. But I'm interested because A, how has being on social media and putting yourself out there and doing those things helped bring you more business for yourself and your brand and all those different things? But also, we're in the age where there's almost too much information. It's, it's overwhelming for who do you listen to? Where do you go? Where do you start? So how do you handle like the overload of information and know where to go to the right people for the right info in the day of social media? When I started putting anything about business on social media... I, it was really out of necessity. Um, I was always private about everything that I was doing. I didn't like putting it out there, tried to stay low key on it. Like I've got no interest in being, you know, known by any means. Um, it's definitely not an ego thing, but what I realized around 2020 was that it's a really good way to market your business and grow. And so I had to kind of put, put my, um, privacy to the side and step out and just do it. And so, um, it's, it's gradually grown. It started out with a YouTube channel and some Facebook posts and kind of, you know, slowly growing Instagram and everything to where now I've got, you know, full-time people doing it and, um, putting out a lot, relatively good amount of comment, uh, content for me. There's people who do it on a much larger scale than even me, but what I've tried to do is I've tried to give tons of content and value without a lot of asks. And I feel like when people can take the information and know that it's not like a hard sale all the time, it's okay to sell and it's okay to promote your businesses and everything. Of course, I'm promoting buying businesses. I want to drive business to my companies. But I think when you're giving genuine content that people can learn from, they, they can tell. Um, it's not always a pitch. And so that's what I've tried to do. I've, I've, I'm probably too heavy on the content yeah. and the and the education side and not enough on the calls to action. But um, it's been a game changer for me. I mean, I put a lot a lot of time into it. And I think the the challenge with a typical business owner is they look and they go, yeah, but I could be out running my business instead of making a, a reel or making a video or a YouTube video um, or doing a post. 
And so you got to kind of weigh it out and say, hey, can I monetize this? And just, you know, I'd say probably in the last year or so, it's really paid off. Um, you spend a lot of money and a lot more time than you think. But over time, as you show that you know what you're doing, people start to come to you and they want to partner. I did several deals last year that were partnerships, which before that I had never done it. Um, have an education company that's kind of grown out of social media. And um, it's what it does is it allows people to know you better. And when they know you and they understand where you're coming from, then they can decide if they like you or not before they ever talk to you. There's people that will listen to my stuff and be like, I don't like his, you know, his uh, political stance. I don't, I don't like his faith stance. I don't like that stuff. Cause I try and be as transparent as possible. So you can either decide whether you like me or <laughs> not. Cause I don't want people who don't like me coming to do business with me. Cause it's not going to work. So um, I think just being transparent and, Focusing on giving real good content is, is paid off. Um, and just know that if you're planning on doing it at any level, just know that you're going to spend some money and it's not going to feel like you're getting a, an immediate return on it. Amen to that, man. I think people go, oh, I'm going to be an influencer. And I've had so many different conversations on and off the podcast with like, okay, well, what is that? Because you look at the guys like, I want to do what Ryan Pineda does. It's like, do you know how much money Austin Rutherford and Ryan Pineda and those guys pay? to make their social media look like that and carry on. Like it's, it's a business in itself. So you talk about, you know, that's why I like being able to have masterminds and, and collaborate with guys like you who do that, because it's like, if you want to work on growing the brand and doing the social media thing, that's going to take up too much of your time to also be as good at finding and stabilizing mobile home parks as Mario. So get the investors through your social media and then collaborate with a guy like Mario. Yeah. One thing I was going to mention to you too, Nick, that's really important is that, you've got to be good at your business and you've got to have some sort of systems in place to free you up to go do that. So a lot of times people get into things and within six months, they want to be an expert in it. And the truth is people can tell when you don't know what you're doing. You know, I've had, I've seen some people kind of get on social media and start talking about something that they're just getting into. And you can tell they're not experienced. And that's actually a bad thing. It doesn't look good. So focus on your business, make money, become an expert in what you're doing for an extended period of time, then go teach people, but don't try and teach and educate. doesn't mean you can't talk about what you're doing, but don't try and become a guru or an expert in something before you're there and create the systems to free you up. So then you can go add fuel to the fire, which is social media mentioning Ryan Pineda. Um, Ryan's actually the one that got me interested in doing um, YouTube. You know, I was talking to him, uh, shoot, this was, year and a half ago. And he was kind of explaining the reasons why he does it. And he's, he's talked about it publicly, but we were sitting down talking about it. And he really motivated me to go make a serious effort in, in YouTube and the benefits of it. And um, he's, you know, I've gotten coaching from him and everything. And I think he's done it right. So if there's one person out there to kind of look and say, Hey, what's, what's a good model to follow? It would be uh it'd be Pineda. He's He's, he's legit and he's done it really well. Awesome. And well, it's definitely showing because the results that I see from you and the content you're putting out, the the quality of the content, the message, everything, man, it, it's top notch. And you, know, you touch on Thank systems you. and welcome, sir. I think, uh, you know, I, I say that a lot of the time to people, I go, hey, who here can make a better hamburger than McDonald's? And everybody raises their hand and I go, cool, <laughs> why aren't you a billionaire? Like, what does McDonald's have that you don't? It's systems, you know, and that's why people will invest in companies and businesses and people who have already been through, made the mistakes and created those systems based off of those processes. And now talking about you and the stuff that you have, 
talk about all the ways that you help people, you work with people, you consult with people, you invest with them, you teach them. I know you have a CREOPS, Celebrate Title. Um, you got, um, uh, was it a real, real cash flow coming out soon? So yep. talk all the things going on with Mario and, and all the ways that people can work with you, find you, learn from you, all those different things. Yeah. And I hope people stick around for me because I'm not going to get into pitch mode. I'm hoping that <laughs> I can kind of answer this question and still give you some value that you can go and use whether you work with me or not. Um, you know, I started out with just the mobile home parks. Once we got to a certain point, it made sense to start our own property management company, Celebrate Communities. And we've scaled that. We've got great systems in place. I didn't start out that way. And I can touch on that in a minute. But um, from there, just purely out of necessity, created the management company. Now we manage for other people, um, for their communities. And then again, out of necessity, had to fill lots, had to rehab homes we were taking back. So we started a dealership and that company now infills lots and rehabs and sells homes in other people's communities. Um, and then I mentioned titles before, which is an absolute, you know, um, <laughs> headache, even as a, you know, as an owner of a title company, we, we started a mobile home title company because we couldn't find any other mobile home title companies that were doing it very well. Either they were too big and they couldn't focus on each little market well enough, or they were too small and they were overloaded because everybody was trying to give them business. So we said, you know, let's just start our own title company. Let's get somebody who's really good with mobile home titles and let's bring her in to run that business. And so now we not only do our own titles, but we do mobile home titles for mostly community owners and law firms that need kind of, they don't want to mess with it. They just want to refer it out. And so that's worked really well. Um, and we've got kind of a hub and spoke where the portfolio is in the middle. And then I actually own a brokerage, which is more of the acquisition arm of our company. And I've got a team of brokers, but they're acquisition managers for me. And so we broker deals off market to other buyers when we pass on them. And that's also how, you know, we're able to, to buy communities ourselves. And then the education and the education is called real cash flow, And that is a passion project. To, um, I guess you could say, I love the education side. Obviously, I'm pumping a ton of education out through my social media and my podcast, and my YouTube channel. But a lot of people were coming to me and saying, hey, you know, how do I do this? They asked me 50 questions over DM. And it's like, okay, I want to help you, but I can't. I can't do it on a one-on-one -on -one level like that over text message or over, over DM. So really what I did is I just put together a coaching program that has education and one-on-one -on -one coaching or not one-on-one -on -one, a group coaching with me, um, opportunities to run around parks with me. And, uh, I've, I've got a pretty sweet deal on that where people can actually do it, where it ends up costing them $0. So, um, I think it's, on the selfish side, just being really transparent with you, the education is also a great way to find partners and, and source more deals. Um, some people say, hey, I want to buy a park, but I really don't want to do the property management side. Cool. My property management company can help, or I need help raising capital and asset management. Cool. I can help them with that. And so it it, it is deal flow. But it's genuine. I if they never do any business with me outside of just learning, that's totally cool. I'm happy to help them. So it's uh it's become kind of a an ecosystem of companies that I, I believe we can add a lot of value to a community owner at any level. Man, that's so smart. I love every part of that. So uh, connecting on all that stuff, websites. What's the best way to find all that, those different options? Yeah, I mean, if you want to kind of go to the main hub, it'd be mariodatillo.net, which is going to give you all the companies. It's going to give you the links to my social. It's going to give, um, it's going to give you 
podcast, all of that. If you want to just straight up learn mobile home park investing, it's getrealcashflow.com. And uh, love to help you guys in any way that I possibly can connect with me on all the social media stuff. I mean, there's a ton of free content there. Um, maybe you're already a park owner and you just want to sharpen your game and you're, you don't feel like you necessarily need hands-on help. I mean, I'm putting out crazy amount of, of info that can help you sharpen your game. If you're starting from scratch, I recommend that you get some guidance, whether it's from me or somebody else, but, um, I know I'll help you the best out of anybody. Um, that's the pitch. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to just help any way that I can. I love that, man. And uh, I, I second that. I, I know the people that you're connected to and I know what you're doing. And and I know to a level what I'm doing with those things too. And I'm still learning stuff from you on, on a lot of the stuff you're putting out there. So I appreciate it. I think you're doing awesome. Few final questions before I let you go. I like to call this the victory lap where we kind of wrap everything up in a nice little bow. So first, what is one of your favorite books? Oh, well, number one's the Bible. Um, great business and life, life um, guide. You know, um, I think that's, I always tell people start there. Secondly, I would say check out Traction. Um, and I forgot to mention one of my companies, Creops, which is basically an implementer of similar to tra uh, EOS into commercial real estate management companies, commercial investment companies, and commercial real estate brokerages. And so we implement um, uh, systems into other people's companies too. Um, but I would say traction is a really good starting point. If you're running a business, you need to figure out how to get out of the business and work on it. And um, it changed my life back several years ago. I was able to kind of get out of the day-to-day -day grind of property management and build a team and systemize it with KPIs and everything else. I love that. That's one of the probably the top three most shouted out books on this podcast by far. Like yeah. that probably Think and Grow Rich and um, Rich Dad Poor Dad probably and maybe a couple of Mark Evans books, but pretty much, yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. Man. <laughs> Second question: What is one of your favorite quotes? Shoot, um, you know, I didn't come prepared because Nick doesn't <laughs> give you any notes before you get on the show. So. <laughs> um, I would say uh, I don't know on that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. I would say that uh, get around get 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 around some people are doing some big things and listen to what they're saying. Those are probably the best quotes you're gonna get. That's great advice, man. That's, Last, that's, that's the cop out is what that is. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's good. And I think you, you gave a lot of good ones. I could quote you on a lot of these and they would be some of my favorite ones. So <laughs> you're, you're giving great info here, man. So uh, last, but certainly not least, is it too late? Have we missed the ball on mobile home parks? Is, is, has we lost all the opportunities? Is it too competitive now? Is it too late to invest in mobile home parks? I love this question because a lot of times people think the market's too hot or they've all been bought up or something like that. The reason why I like mobile home parks over almost any other property type is because we are in a consolidation phase. There's still a lot of communities that are owned by mom and pop owners that are getting ready to retire and they don't want to pass it on to their kids. And so there's still a ton of opportunity. And I would say going into the market conditions that we're probably going, not probably that we're going into, I'll be blunt. Um, there's going to be a ton of opportunity to buy stuff. We've, we've been licking our chops for the last, you know, two years knowing that this stuff is coming, but especially in the last 12 months, we've picked up more last year than we have in, in a long time. And a lot of people bought things at stupid prices and they used bad debt to do it. They used bridge loans. They, they, they took on more than they could, but than they could chew. 
And we're going to see some of that stuff come back at great prices. And I've, I've, I've already picked up a few and seller financing is more prominent than it has been in a long time. So if you're going to buy mobile home parks, now is the time to do it. I know it sounds like super, you know, pitchy, but um, you should really be looking at it now because there is a window of time that as the institutional guys and professional operators come in and buy this stuff up, it will become more like apartments and self-storage. Self-storage went through the same consolidation process and it's still slightly in that, but it's for, you know a lot further along than mobile home parks. So if you're going to do it, do it now because you're still going to find great opportunities where you're not buying from sophisticated sellers that have maxed out the performance of the property and want top dollar for them. Outstanding and exciting answer. I don't think that was pitchy at all, man. It's relevant information. People can take what they want from it, but that that's the real story there. So I love that you shared that. Um, social media stuff. I know at Mario Dottillo TV, um, but basically if they go through MarioDottillo.net, they'll find all the ways to connect with you. TikTok, Instagram, social media, Facebook, all that stuff. Yeah, MarioDottillo.tv, MarioDottilloShow.com. The best place to go would be MarioDottillo.net because it's got everything in one central location. Fantastic. And I'm going to put all live links to every single one of those right here on the show notes with all the connections to your cash flow course and to CREOPS and to everything you're doing. So guys, just jump on the show notes and click on that. Mario Dottillo, you are always bringing your A-game in everything you do. This interview has been no different. You lived up to all the expectations that I've had. <laughs> I've been trying to get you on for a long time, and this is really exciting for me to be able to connect with you, sir. Thank you for bringing your A-game to this show and this interview. Any final thoughts before I let you go for the day? Nick, thanks for letting me on. I'm a huge fan of your show. So it was, it was a pleasure to be on. You guys like you coming on and being able to bring value and give information like this is what makes it all worthwhile. So I appreciate you. I'm a big fan of yours. I look forward to staying in touch and doing some work together in the future. Married to Tilly, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic day. So what's it feel like?